Try that now. Good morning. Well, one thing's been proven by that video. Trent can do at least three push-ups. We, uh, we're glad to find that out, Trent, wherever you are. We're going to celebrate victories. You know, I think uh, one thing that happens to us sometimes when we talk about all the good things that's happening uh, in, in the kingdom of God uh, around the world and as well as locally what's going on, uh, it's real easy not to say the good stuff that's happening. Uh, you just kind of assume people know what's happening in the ministries, and yet there's a lot going on that people don't know about. There's a lot of conversions at different times. Uh, you know, the baptistry, hey, it's a 24-hour open deal, right? I mean, and so uh, uh, I remember here recently uh, somebody came in and said, we found wet clothes. Who was baptized last night? And we're, we're, we don't know, but we're glad somebody was, right? So I learned one thing. You don't have to know everything that's happening, but you need to know some things because we need to know when there's a win, we need to be able to see when a victory is taking place. And so it is, it is important that we hear testimonies from people's lives that have changed. It's important that we understand uh, uh, the accomplishment of our teens when they do a mission trip or things that happen at camp and uh, all kinds of other ministries and, and within our own family. Because uh, one of the things that we're going to talk about over the next uh, few weeks is, is this, in this series is called Better Together. And so we are because of the uh, cross of Christ, we are blood kin, right? We're family. Uh, and so, uh, you know, family have unique things about them. And our, this family here has unique things about, uh, about us too, right? And so we'll talk a little bit more about that. So we wanted to start uh, uh, in the book of Ephesians. So if you'll turn into Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. We'll do a little work here this morning out of this text. Now, uh, I didn't really pull out a bunch of points together, but if you were going to put a few, here's, here's three that you might pick out of this. This is going to be talking about family prayer, praying for the whole family, family power, and family purpose. Now, this just doesn't, I'm not talking about just in the, the family of God, but in your own personal families, too. Uh, one of the things that we're going to be doing, uh, and we have been doing, is taking pictures of families. Instead, in the past, we've always taken pictures of kids for back to school. But we don't want to pray just for kids. We want to pray for families. And so uh, this year, uh, I love the idea that the, uh, they came up with to take pictures of families. And let's put those in our homes and then on our refrigerators and those places and start praying for our family units. And their families come in all shapes and sizes, right? I mean, there are single families. There are uh, there's mom and kid families. There's dad and kids only family. There are blended families. There's a variety of kinds of families. But once we're all in Christ, we all have a responsibility to take care of one another, right? And so we're going to talk a little bit about that before we uh, uh, get started any further. Uh, let's stand for a word of prayer and pray over our lesson today, okay? Father in heaven, your, your holy word we know is the road map for our lives. And of all the how-to books that are written and that are on the shelves and the 
stores and the libraries of men. None hold a candle to what the power of your word that was given us by your spirit for what it can do for how to live life. We're so guilty of looking for answers in men's knowledge and expertise. When your word has given us everything we need for life and godliness, it's with humility and appreciation that we examine your word today. May we treat it fairly and honestly. May we see the depths of your love and grace and come to know your son better and to know our role as a family within the family better. Thank you, Father, for your Holy Spirit that guides us and dwells in us. Thank you, Father, for the brothers and sisters here today. May we trust your word and may we follow you wholeheartedly. In Jesus' name we pray. And the church said, Amen. Amen. May be seated. Ephesians chapter 3. Let's read this first little section, 14 through 21. We're just going to kind of break this thing down as we read it a little bit, okay? He says, For this reason I kneel before the Father. Now, before we go any further, I want to make sure we get the context about what he's fixing to write. He's going to write a prayer here, his second prayer in this book. But he says, For this reason I kneel. What reason? Well, look back at chapter 3 and verse 1. There he says, for this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. Well, now in 14 he picks up, because he doesn't tell them the reason over the next few verses. There's a little parenthetical statement. You'll see there's a hash mark or there's some kind of thing there in your Bible. And so he kind of gets, uh, it's not, I wouldn't say he's distracted, but he kind of gets wrapped up in the how and why God has called him and the wonderful things of God's grace and love in the next few verses. And so in verse 2 through 13, he kind of does that and talks about how he's one. It's how God has saved him and put him in this situation to be able to serve uh, uh, the people, Paul writes. And so he talks about the great greatness of God's grace. But this reason, then he picks back up in 14 for this reason. Well, what is this reason? Well, this reason happens in chapter 1 and chapter 2 of the book of Ephesians. Remember in chapter 1, he talks about the, the great grace of God, that you've been adopted, you've been brought in, you've been loved, you've been chosen by God. God looked out and chose you to be in this family. And chapter 2, we're saved by grace. Not that we can't do anything to earn it. We don't work in order to be saved. We work because we are saved. And so this great grace that saves us, did something, and he says this mystery that it did, this story of the gospel, what it did, it put Gentiles and Jews alike in the same family. And if you'll notice in chapter 2, if you'll back up a few verses, it says in 19, Consequently, you're no longer foreigners or aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's, here's the word, household, God's family. You're members of God's family now, Jew and Gentile alike. Because we're all saved by grace. 
And God's going to build on that together, do something with this family. And so, for this reason that we've been saved by grace and brought together into one family, now he's going to pray for this family. Now look what he says. For this reason I kneel before the Father. I, uh, someone uh, uh, talked about kneeling and should we kneel, should we stand? The typical way a Jewish man prayed in this day was to stand with his hands lifted up to heaven. Now, there are plenty of examples of, of throughout the Bible someone kneeling to pray. It's not about the posture. But there is something about the posture. He wouldn't have mentioned it, right? Now, he's not giving us a formula for how to do prayer in an assembly or even at home, necessarily. What Paul is saying is that in his prayer, remember, he is arrested. And so he's, he's without his own freedom and, when, and, and what he does is he bows to his knees. He gets on his knees to pray. Now, don't worry. Next Sunday, there's not going to be kneeling benches in all the pews, okay? But there is something about physically bowing yourself to God I think that's important. And there are times when we just need to express physically the humility we're trying to have toward God in honor of Him. So, he does this. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom the whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I thought that was interesting, that he would bring in people who have already gone before us. You've got family that have already gone, right? And it seems like here lately we've had a rash of people going to heaven. And uh, I think I mentioned to it last week that all these people are going to heaven way before I do. And they're going to be up there afraid that I'm not going to make it, you know. So it's been so long. But, uh, but this whole family, he, he calls in the fact that they, those that are already with God, and us who are here to these Ephesians, as well as to us who are here who have this word left for us, that we're a whole family. And that we get our name from God himself. My dad gave me my name. Kellett is carried on. Father to son, father to son. I have my name from him. I have a plaque that talks about the name of your family. Honor your name. Someone gave this to your name pure. You keep it. Someone gave it to you of good reputation. You keep it. Someone gave it to you with wisdom. You keep it. So those things are important to us as a family. Because I got my name. Well, we got your name from God. And so that's important to us as a family. This whole family derives its name from the Father. And he says this. I pray that out of his glorious riches, that's his resources. Now you think about the resources you have to accomplish something. You look around, you get ready to build something, you get ready to do something. You think, okay, what do I have? It's back to school started. Matter of fact, thank you for volunteers. We, we had a great time a Saturday morning. We, we packed 1,000 backpacks uh, to, be, to be handed out in our community to different schools. Not only did we do that. We also, a portion of that money goes over uh, to Shambhalet in Kenya and helps the kids as they start school in their community. Our community helping another community halfway around the world. I love that. That's family, by the way. That's what family does. That's a great thing. Yeah. Yeah. Honor God for that. So, so he says this is the, this is the resources. 
you have resources for going back to school, you're going through the resources is God's glorious riches. If, if there's something we think we don't have, I mean, we're misled somewhere. We've got the glorious riches of God as our resource. So he says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner what? Being. He's going to strengthen us with power. Say the word power. power. Say the word power. 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 Well, look for that extra power in life to live right, to do right. Because guess what? I've tried it on my, uh, by myself a lot. And it's, it's just not working very good. You know, those, I mentioned how-to books. How many times have we read those? How to do this, how to do that, you know, how to, uh, how to lose weight. Well, look, that's a real easy one. You don't have to have a book. It's a math problem. There's, there's got to be less going in than there is going out. Uh, it's really not hard to figure out. It's just hard to do, right? But how many times have we said, well, this is going to be my, this is going to be my last time. This is going to be the last time I do this. How many of you have battled that thing of alcohol? This is going to be my last drink. Then I'm quitting for good till the next Friday night, right? How many of you have multiple last times? Yeah, all of us. Because inside of ourselves, by ourselves, we are powerless to conquer the sins and the bad habits in our life. We need to be strengthened inside by the Spirit of God in order to accomplish on the outside what God wants in our life. So that's His prayer. How many times do we need that within our own families? Because remember, He's writing this to a group of people who came from so different backgrounds. The Jew and the Gentile who are pulled together. I mean, they had, they had different religious beliefs they have different history they have different families and all that he's pulled them all together through the gospel and now he's praying this prayer for that odd group of people that have been pulled all together into this one family and he says this happens through the spirit the holy spirit of god does not get talked about enough in the family of god He, not it, He, the Holy Spirit, dwells inside of us as a guarantee that whatever God has in store for us, that inheritance is for sure and solid and is there. We can stand on that promise. The Holy Spirit empowers us. Now, the Holy, seeking for that Holy Spirit empowerment sometimes can be a confusing thing. Because the religious world has a variety of ways they want to tell you how to, how to go about this. But the Holy Spirit empowerment is not a one-time incident of an explosion of emotion. It is a continual communion into the deep things of God. And always happens within His Word. For the Spirit wrote it. Now, He works outside the Word. But look. You try to figure out and have the Holy Spirit work within you without the Word? You're going to go to war without the sword? His Word is alive and active. So there's always the two sides of the knowledge and experience that takes place. Paul's going to talk about that a little bit more in this prayer. Let's keep reading here. 
the Holy Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts. Let's talk. I want to talk about the word dwell for a minute. Two different words uh, typically used in the Bible in the Greek for the word dwell. This one happens to mean make a permanent home. Remember what we're talking about? Family. We're better together. And part of his prayer is not that he's not already in us. It's not that we not already have, have been saved here. He's writing to save people. But he's understanding that growth and progress to where, to where we understand what, what's happening to us, that Christ dwells in us richly. And that he does this in our hearts through faith. That's that confidence, that's that trust, that's that dependence. And then he goes into a second part of the prayer. And I pray that you being rooted and established in what? In love. Everybody say love. 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 Rooted and established in love. May have power. There the word is again. But here's what it's followed by. That you may have power together. Here's what I think I've missed out of this verse in times past. He's fixing to talk about the dimensions of God's love. Matter of fact, let's go ahead and look at those dimensions just for a minute. These dimensions, I think they're on another slide, guys. Go, go, go to a different one here. There you go. God's love. Let's just read that little section. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide, how long, how high and deep is the love of Christ. Okay, now, now you can go ahead. Uh, this, let, let, let's read through these and we're going to go back to the text. This love is wide enough to cover the sins of the whole world. He died for the sins of the whole world. This is how great his love is. This is how wide it is. When you look across that river, how wide that river is that flows, it's, it's wide enough to cover my sins. It's long enough to last through eternity. That's the dimensions. He's measuring this thing. It's high enough, as he already wrote in chapter 2, to be seated in heavenly places. And it's deep enough to save the worst of sinners. Even more so, it's deep enough to save me from my worst sin. And that sometimes I don't get. Because I look at my own mess and my own sinfulness, even after understanding what he's done for me. And I think, how can God just keep loving me? His love is deeper than my worst sin. Okay, now these dimensions of this great love. Let's go back to the text, one, uh, back up one slide. Now I want you to look at this. He says that this happens to the saints... But it happens, this power happens together. Here's what I want you to get out of this. We will not understand the dimensions of God's love isolated. But in community. To borrow or pick on a phrase, it doesn't take a village. It takes a family. You see what he says there? Now, he doesn't say you discover God's love. You can't discover God's love by yourself. It's not that. 
But it's more that to really experience and understand the measurements, the dimensions of all this love, this is something that happens not in isolation. This is something that happens in community. Do you understand now why there's such an emphasis here in this church for you to be in a small group or for you to be in a Bible class or do you be in a group of people that have a relationship with each other? You will not experience and understand the dimensions of God's love isolated. You need to be together. We are better together. And I never realized that in this text. And what he says, this power comes at together. It comes as we are with each other in community. And don't you thought that meant a lot to the Jew and the Gentile who have sitting there who were enemies and who argue with each other. And now they're sitting down taking communion together and they're learning together. And all of a sudden they're seeing what was hatred now. Uh, what was hatred once was now all of a sudden a great width of God's love and depth and height. All because it brought them together through the story of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That mystery of the gospel. You and I will not understand the dimensions of God's love operating in isolation. You and I need community. We need family. We are better together. We are, say it with me, better together. One more time. We are better together. Now you understand why God hates division. Have you ever put that together? One of the reasons God hates division is because it destroys someone's ability to understand the dimensions of his love. You ever thought about that? That one of the reasons he hates for you to talk about your brother and your sister, and he hates for you to be at odds with each other, is because he knows that when you are, you have just taken a step away from ever understanding the dimensions of the greatness of God's love. So the emphasis on unity, that sometimes we wonder, why does, God, why does Jesus pray for unity of the believers? Why so much emphasis on unity through Ephesians? Why is Paul going to write about that so much? Because he understands that when you do not have this oneness, when you do not have family, it destroys the dimensions of God. It keeps us from understanding and experience and practicing the dimension of God's love. Now, take that thought for a moment. What does that say? About what happens when you choose to divorce your mate. We want to act like we can split up families and everybody would be okay. And when we act that way, are you listening? When we practice that, not only are is there disunity and the destruction of family and the effect of kids and all the practical? You have just put up a barrier from understanding the dimensions of the love of God. That's why God hates divorce. He doesn't hate it just because 
just because it's miserable and there's problems and it hurts kids and all the reasons that happen in it. He hates it because it takes us away from really grasping the dimensions of his love. Because that's something you do together. Now, that doesn't mean there can't be healing. That doesn't mean there can't be forgiveness and grace and all that. And look, aren't we grateful of all books, Ephesians, aren't we grateful for God's grace to help us start again? Which, by the way, gives us a great message for our broken world, right? Because we're all broken, same way. But now you understand, hopefully, why. Why division is hated by God. Because it destroys our ability to understand the dimensions of his love. Now, hang on to that thought. Look what else he says. You're like, man, this text had a lot more in than I thought, right? He says that this thing, that this, this grasping how wide and how long and how high and deep is the love of Christ. And then he says this, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Now, this is an interesting statement. That sounds like, it's, uh, uh, that's, that sounds like a paradoxical statement, right? How can you know love that surpasses knowledge? How can you know the unknowable? Think about that. He's praying. He says, I want you to be able to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Well, it's knowing the unknowable happens this way. We know it by grace. We know experientially that God has saved us. But the amount of that love and, and is not exhausted. It's experiential, but it's not exhausted. Got it? So we know the love of God, but it goes a lot farther than we can. We'll never exhaust to the ends and to the limits of God's love. We'll never understand that much. But we can know that we're right with God by His grace and by His love. So he's praying that I want them to know This love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the fullness of all the of all the fullness of God, filled with fullness of God. That sounds so intangible. It sounds like something I, I can't really grab hold of. How do I get a hold of that? The fullness of God is expressed in the gospel of Christ. So in Ephesians chapter 1, when he describes this immeasurable love and this immeasurable grace and then immeasurable power, he's going to say those three things throughout the first three chapters, is that we get to be saved even though our sinfulness is blaring there in the face of God, but because of the, the gospel of Jesus, all that's wiped away. And I start understanding who God is because of the coming of Jesus Christ. His incarnation reveals who He is. So the more I look at Jesus and watch how He treats people, how He acts, how He lives, and I look at that through His Word, the more I understand about the fullness of God. And remember, when Jesus came in John chapter 1, the Bible says that He came full of Grace and truth. 
Both things always happen. Matter of fact, when he prays here, he prays that you know love. A lot of people in religion pray that they feel love. He doesn't pray that you feel love. Because emotions go up and down, don't they? Look, if you don't think uh, emotions go up and down, uh, you you haven't been married. I'm not going to say anything else about that. I'll get in trouble. But emotions go up and down, don't they? And are they always based on fact or truth? Well, not, not necessarily. So we can't determine our relationship with God based on an experience alone by how we feel. Paul doesn't pray that they feel this love. He prays that they know this love. So there's always that side. Now, some people are bent toward just the cerebral, right? They're bent toward the learning, the academic, the information. Others are built toward, the, and they have that leaning or that bent toward emotions. And that, you, know, you always have that. The, the Bible is great because it deals with both of them in perfect balance. And he says that you know this love that, that surpasses even knowledge. And now you're going to be filled Physically, emotionally, spiritually, in every way, the fullness of God. Which only makes sense because the greatest command is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Inside and out. Which, by the way, takes you right back to the beginning of the prayer when he prayed for the Holy Spirit to strengthen the inner self. So now he says... That what I really need is not an inward explosion to experience the fullness of God. What I need is an inward communion with a holy God who enables us to live for Him. Now, you understand now why later in the book? Because you see Paul's first prayer in chapter 1 is telling them about who they are in Christ, and this prayer is telling them about what they're going to experience in Christ. And so now, when he gets later on into the book of Ephesians and he writes about dads and moms and how they are to handle their kids, and he writes about husbands and wives and how how to be submissive and how to love one another, that he turns around and says, but I'm not really writing this about that. I'm writing this about what? The family of God. I'm writing this about family of God, how husbands, wives treat each other. This is the example of the family of God. So this is really the kind of the kickoff prayer that says, here's how you now can practice what, who you are and who you found yourself to be in the first three chapters of Ephesians. Now here's how you practice this with your armor on, with your holiness practice, with how to treat each other in your family and how to honor God in everything you do. And for that, I need the fullness of God in my life because it enables me to practice what he wants. For you see, that doesn't come from moments of emotional explosion. That comes from a consistent submission and communion with God. I'm afraid far too many times I spent 
way much, way too much studying compared to the amount of praying. For the communion of God would enable me to learn and practice the Word of God. But it seems like we get that backwards. You know what? I think probably the number one, the number one mistake as preachers that we make is that we don't spend the same amount of time in prayer as we do in the Word. And it takes its toll on our hearts and our bodies. That's why it's so easy, it's so easy to be discouraged as a preacher when you lay your heart out and the Word out to someone and someone walks up and, and the one thing they got was your uh, misuse of the grammar uh, you know, of the English language. I'm mean, Not that I would ever misuse the English language, Gordon, you know. But for someone to point that out, where I didn't use I and me and you and all correctly, and that's what they got out of it when I was trying to lay out the Word of God, and that's what they picked up? Now, get that. The fact that I would let that discourage me tells me I didn't really prepare in prayer because if I had prepared in prayer and was strengthening my inner being the way Paul prays here before I ever get to the practical application, then I think the strength I would have through the Spirit, I would would be allowed to not let those things discourage me that shouldn't. But I'm weak in my inner being and I allow man's comments to discourage me but you know what that happened because it's my own fault because I didn't spend time strengthening the inner being and praying in communion with God to begin with and you know what happens with you same thing when someone is allowed to say something in your life and it is so upsetting to you and it is so discouraging to you and it is such a, such a, a thing that brings about such a disheartening spirit about you is that may be happening because the communion with God where you can experience the fullness of God and the strength and inner being has not happened enough that you, you're not able to withstand that attack that Satan's using a brother to do. And so all of a sudden I look and realize I need to spend amounts, times of communion and prayer with God. And this book is the example because Paul lays out his prayer in the first chapter. And then talks about what, who we are in Christ. And he lays out his prayer in the third chapter and talks about what we are to experience and practice in Christ. And he was an arrested man on his knees. In humility. Honoring God. And you know what? Just a little side note here about this prayer. He's arrested. He's had all kinds of problems in life. And when he gets on his knees. He doesn't utter one request about himself. I don't know that I've ever said a prayer that I didn't. Utter a request about myself. 
He did not. It wasn't that. He didn't. Now, this is the same guy that wrote and said you could pray everything to God. You could ask God for anything and everything. It's not that he couldn't, couldn't do that or shouldn't do it. But in this prayer for the family of God, to learn the dimensions of the love of God in community, to get, he doesn't mention anything about his own situation. A man arrested, a man persecuted, a man under hard times. And what does he do? He gets on his knees for the family of God. And I thought to myself, we have to develop more leaders like this. Dads and families, this is your leadership example. Husbands, this is it. Fathers with your little ones, this is it. This is the example. You on your knees. Have your kids ever watched you hit the ground? With your knees. And honor God. All for the family of God. And not requesting for yourself. Whew. Well. Here's the final statement in this last section. Verse 20. The, do- the doxology of this. He says, now to him who is able. To do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church or family and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. Family to family to family to family, you see. Forever and ever. And the church said, we can't even begin to break down that little section. That would be another time, another place. But just know we can praise God for the great surpassing love that he's given us. Here's what I want you to walk away with. We are better together. Say it. Better together. And if we don't. The result is we will not be able to understand the dimensions of God's love. For that happens in community. Father, we love you. I thank you for the brothers and sisters. I thank you for your word. I look at it and I see so many places I just fall short. and It makes me more grateful for your grace. I pray, Father, for the Holy Spirit to strengthen this church, every individual, and every family in their inner being. I pray, Father, Paul's prayer that together, as a community, we would experience and understand the great dimensions of your love. How wide and high and and deep, Father. And long this love is that lasts through eternity. I pray, Father, that you would heal every broken family, heal every broken marriage, restore relationships between parents and their kids, between parents and adult children. I pray for the restoration of marriages that are hurting. I pray. That the commitment of this 
group of people will be strong, so strong, Satan will not gain any victories in the division and the destruction of our families. I pray you bless us as we grow and learn about being better together. All because the gospel is what brings us together in one family. We love you. We are humbled before you. We have nothing to offer except our gratitude. And it never seems to be enough to say thank you for the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. It's in his name that we pray with the help of the Holy Spirit. And amen. If you need to get in on that family of God, being baptized into Christ today, put your faith in the gospel, that's what the invitation is, an opportunity. If you need to heal your family, come down here and just pray together. We're down here to do that for you too. We're all in this together, right? We're better together. If you have a need, please come while we stand and sing.